Good morning from me. My name's Peter. Uh, it's good to have you at church today. I wonder if you've ever heard the, um, the, the line, uh, love is a choice. Um, you, you probably have. Um, and indeed, a lot of the time, love is a choice. But love is not only a choice. If, uh, if I said to my wife that uh, love is only a choice, I'm choosing to love you, and that's all I did, I only ever chose to love you, do you think she'd be satisfied with that? Absolutely not. Uh, here's another um, category just to tie in with that, just to uh, tee things up for today. Um, you know, I often hear people say things like emotions are unreliable. And uh, there is a sense in which emotions are unreliable. But there are times where you ought to have emotions that are in accord with the truth. And God actually commands that. God actually commands that we have emotions that are in line with the truth. He doesn't discard them. He says they need to be in line with what the truth is. Um, so you've got in the Old Testament, the, um, in Deuteronomy, um, Moses says to the people, basically you're going to get disciplined by God because you served him, but you didn't do it happily. <laughs> so you ought to serve him happily. In a similar way, in a marriage, um, it's not just a choice. It's a, there ought to be affections and emotions that go along with it, that are in line with it. And sometimes I think um, you can go too far in that direction with emotions, and then I think you can go too far in the other direction and end up with some kind of theological stoicism where you don't have any feelings or you're not affected by things. And I don't think that's right either. Um, so you know what we're going to do today we're going to try and do everything <laughs> all right uh, I heard a preacher once said to me uh, he said uh, the one way to get balance is to go to all extremes equally <laughs> and so let's have a crack at that I think the text that we're looking at today is, is it's actually a pretty emotional text now I don't know whether it's going to happen but I said to Angie a couple of days ago I said I think I might cry today because it's that kind of text and I don't plan to cry. All right, some of you are going, oh, that's interesting. He's going to put a bit of a turn on for everyone today. But it's just an emotional text. And if you read this text today that we're reading from the Gospel of John and you don't get affected emotionally, uh, I want to suggest to you that maybe you're not quite as in tune as you, as in tune as you could be. Um, so I'm going to pray and ask that God would help you to be in tune so that your affections and your emotions would actually be in line with what we read today. Is everyone okay with that? In fact, I might even invite you to stand with me as a, as a mark of honour and respect to, um, to God and what he, what he says. Jesus, you know uh, well um, our situation. You know that we don't see some things that we need to see. You know that our affections are not always in line with where they ought to be. And um, you, you, don't, you don't take a step back and say, that's okay, they can just be out of line. You, you command the right affections and the right emotions from us. And then you promise to help us to feel things in line with what is actually true. So that our love of you wouldn't just and only be a choice and it wouldn't just and only be something that's in line with the truth but it would be 
and affection that we would actually love you, that we would actually like you, that we would actually be affected by you. And so I pray, Spirit, today that you would help us to be affected by you today, that it wouldn't only be a mental, cognitive thinking thing, but it would drill down deeper than that and it would stir us today. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? As you do, grab your Bibles. We're going to look at John chapter 1, starting at verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9. Gospel of John, for those who perhaps are not familiar with Christian things, is a, uh, a, a John's telling of the story about who Jesus is uh, when he walked on the planet. John chapter 1, verse 9. I'll make a couple of comments as we go through. Starting at verse 9 there. The true light... Now, um, John, I think, is implying that there's been other lesser lights. So, for example, if you go to the Old Testament, you've got the, the law and, and, um, and God's word is described as a light. But that, that's kind of a, a dull version of the true light who's come. The true light is Jesus himself, which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And just pause on the tragedy of that. It's tragic. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's kick in. I'm going to start... At verse 10, look, there's a bunch of sermons in verse 9, okay? We could talk about general revelation and about how Jesus brings light to the world and how his presence means that we can know him and we can know things about our world. From Romans chapter 1, we could do a lot of time there and that would be really valuable for us to hang there. Probably could preach a few sermons, to be honest, just on verse 9. But we're going to skip through to, uh, to verse 10 and uh, have a look at something out of verse 10 and it's this, it's obvious. Uh, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You're meant to go, what? What? Like everything in the world was made by him, and he's in it? His presence is in it, and people don't know him? It's like, what the heck is going on? That's kind of the response that you're meant to have. It's, it's, kind of, it's meant to be outrageous. That is outrageous that Jesus would have created everything and he would be in the world and his life would be in the world and people wouldn't have a clue about him. It's outrageous. This is the way uh, poet uh, Jared Manley Hopkins puts it. He says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. And I've got to tell you, uh, uh, this is something about secular um, evolution that I just don't get. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense to me like what what is the deal with this you know what is the deal with the fact that you've got all these incredibly complex beings that just came and this complex creation that just comes out of an accident how does that happen you know I mean when Darwin came up with his theory uh, we have gone almost well you can't but almost infinitely more complex in our understanding of biology and creation than what Darwin had And it's like it becomes a steeper and taller and taller and taller order to believe in evolution, but people still stick to it. 
Why? I remember reading years ago, I used to read the Dilbert cartoon all the time and I read this extended book and there was um, a statement by the writer of, uh, of Dilbert that said uh, evolution will be debunked in our lifetime. It just doesn't fit the evidence. It doesn't fit the evidence. Anyone, and we're having a go at teenagers, right? Anyone who's got teenage kids knows that you don't get order out of disorder. You look at their bedroom, right? Their bedrooms do not come back into order spontaneously. Someone has to get in there and bring about some kind of order. Apologies, teenagers. Keep listening, please. It just isn't how things work. And so, look, here's another place we could do a bunch of sentences. But just let me throw a couple of things out to you quickly because you go, what's the deal? Why is there something that is so obvious that people don't get? Well... There's at least two things. Uh, One is incomplete wisdom. You you cannot see something because you don't know about it. And someone needs to come along and teach you. In some ways, that's what schooling does. It's what university does. It's what mentoring does. It happens all over the place. It's like we can't see something because we don't know about it. That could be one thing. But the other thing uh, that I think is, is a big factor in not seeing things And I think the factor in humanity not seeing God is we're blind. We just don't see him. We don't recognize him. Now, have a look back at John 1 verse 10. I want you to notice something there. I'm going to read it again and then I'm just going to make a comment about the end of it. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him this is not sitting in a lecture theater at a university not knowing something that's not what this is this is not someone coming home and telling you about something that happened in the day and they're like you don't know that either you know what this is this is personal this is personal one of the things it's saying is the world just we weren't friends with jesus we weren't friends the one who made everything, the one who was in the world. We weren't friends. You know, I, uh, many of you know that I taught um, at Toowoomba Christian College and also a school in Sydney for a year. I taught for about 18 years of my life as a high school teacher. And uh, I have this experience now because I taught at a Toowoomba school for about 18 years um, where students come up to me or ex-students come up to me and say, hey, remember me? And I go, yeah, yeah, I do. Sometimes, most times. But it's a thing, right? I reckon I've taught probably, over that time, I've probably taught over 10,000 kids and kids or previous students come up to me and ask. And I, most of the time I do okay. I can pick a family name or a first name and I often recognise their face unless I've got some weird kind of facial hair, which tricks me sometimes, right? What's, what's going on in that moment? Well, in that moment, there's, I'm just a little bit worried, right? Because if they come up to me and say, remember me, and I say, no, I don't, it communicates something to them which I don't want to communicate to them. And here's the, here's the, the threatening piece. It communicates possibly to them that they don't matter to me. They only mattered to me when they were sitting in my class and outside of that classroom, they don't matter to me. To the contrary, if I say to them, yeah, I remember you, your name is Amy, all of a sudden, 
they matter, right? They're kind of a real person. What John is describing in John chapter 1 here is far worse than forgetting a student's name. What John's saying is that Jesus meant nothing to us. Do you feel it? Just didn't mean anything to us. You ever had that experience where you're talking to someone and they're either constantly looking at their watch or they're looking at someone behind you? You ever had that experience where you're, someone's walking toward you that you know and they wave and you wave at them and then they walk past you because there's someone behind them that they know? Have you had that? They leave you hanging, right? You know what it communicates at that point in time? You feel really small because in that moment, one of the things that it can communicate is like, I don't matter as much as that person. Or I don't matter as much as the next appointment that person has. There's a sense in which when that kind of stuff happens to us, we feel like we're see-through. We kind of go invisible to people. You know, sometimes we look through people and we don't see people, right? You know, parents can look through their children. We don't recognise them. We don't see them. We see them, but you know what I'm saying. We don't see them, see them as a real person. Sometimes we can walk into a house or our kids can walk into a house and no one says hello. See, that, that's, a, that's a version of it. It's like they've walked in and no one said hello. It's like you are see-through to us. You are not that significant you don't matter that much to me you aren't that important and i would ask you this question Um, who here likes it when people do that to you you know another word for this is indifference (laughs) we play on that word indifference for a bit Um, and difference is like there's no real difference between people and what we want There's no real difference between that person over there and the chair. They just don't make any difference to me. It doesn't change anything for me. It doesn't do anything for me. They're kind of nothing to me. And you know something? When it comes to people, indifference is far, far, far worse than hate. Did you know that? Because at least when someone hates you, you're a real person. At least when someone hates you, they have to look at you and they have to deal with you, even if they don't like you. If you've ever been treated like you don't matter and you're just nothing to people, you know what I'm talking about. This is the way humanity has treated Jesus. (laughs) We're just not that interested. He shows up and we just don't really care. You know, it's not, when Jesus showed up, it's not the loving, it's not the lost loved one at the big embrace, was it? It was walking straight past them to get a coffee from the cafe, isn't it? It's not even noticing him. It's, oh, it's you. Sorry, I'm busy. Now, Some of you know what this feels like. You had fathers, mothers, 
husbands, wives and friends who have done this to you. You just didn't matter to them and they would regularly walk past you. And I just want to say to you, I'm sorry that happened to you. If that happened to you, um, it's terrible. And I want to say to you this morning that Jesus gets you. He understands. Because we did it to him. Ellie Weasel uh, was a survivor of the Auschwitz concentration camp in Nazi Germany. He uh, put it this way. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. Are you indifferent toward God? Does he matter to you? It's meant to be obvious, but somehow it's not obvious for us. Here's the uh, second place that we're heading this morning. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Have a look at verse 11 with me. (laughs) He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Yeah, Jesus was in the world. That's what we found out in uh, John 1 verse 9, but he was incarnated. He took on flesh. Uh, He came in the flesh. Um, And then John takes this whole indifference thing just to a whole new level, right? This being ignored. It wasn't just about his own kind of uh, sustaining or permeating presence in the world. Jesus took on flesh and he came and he came to his own And it was much, much worse than just the indifference of not noticing him in the world. He came to his own, specifically the Jews, and his own people didn't receive him. Let me give you an alternate way. This phrase can be translated out of the Greek, which uh, uh, John was written in. He came home... And his own people did not receive him. It's the same phrase used in John 19, 27. Um, And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. It's the same Greek phrasing, took her to his own home. Home. Home is meant to be safe. You come home and you should be able to relax. It's familiar. The people you are with are familiar. Home is where you are with your people. That's what home is. I remember a couple of years ago, some of you heard me tell this story, but I remember a couple of years ago going to my cousin's funeral. A very sad event. But something strange happened to me in the middle of this sad event because you know something, there are just not many Sondergelds on the face of the planet, at least not in Australia. When we moved to Sydney uh, lots and lots of years ago, I remember looking in the phone book and just going, where are the Sondergelds in Sydney? It's a big city. There should be heaps of them. There was one other household of Sondergelds. And by the time we left, we were it. There were no other Sondergelds. So I go to this funeral and it's on the Sondergelds side and you, guess what? There's a whole bunch of Sondergelds. And a lot of them have got big noses. <laughs> and they're six foot three. And any any male in the Sondergeld uh, family, the broader Sondergeld family, gets called Sondy. It was blue collar, league players, barrel chested men. It was amazing. Um, the laughing 
that was going on there. Um, it was a sense, it was a strange sense in an incredibly sad moment that it was, there was kind of home. It's like, this, this is my gang. <laughs> These are my people. Some, for some reason, somehow, it felt safer being there, even though we're not that closely connected relationally. It's like, that is my gang. We, we understand each other. Yeah, it's like, hey, Sonny. Any, any male is Sonny. I mean, it's happened to my sons. My sons get called Sonny. All of them. Sometimes they get big Sonny, little Sonny, just to differentiate them. All of a sudden, there was more of us. You know, um, family are the people who are supposed to back you when no one else does. They're meant to be home. I remember talking to a guy uh, a number of years ago, and uh, it was just him and his brother, uh, two boys uh, uh, in the family. Um, and uh, he had this saying, and I thought, that, that's, that's family, that's home, right? He, he said, it was always me against my brother and my brother and I against the world. It was always me against my brother and my brother and I against the world. And, and that's how it's meant to roll. It's meant to roll like that. But Jesus shows up and his own gang doesn't receive him. Jesus' people are dysfunctional. Is anyone with me? Anyone give an amen to that? Jesus' people are dysfunctional. We're all Jesus' people by default, so you just incriminated yourself. But we are a bit, right? But Jesus' people and the Jews were dysfunctional. And some of you... Some of you get that, right? Because when I was talking about that stuff to do with home and family before and how you're meant to be with your people you're, and your people are meant to kind of have your back, you're going, no, it didn't happen in my family. My family didn't have my back. And I want to say to you, that, that's what sin does. Sin disorders things. Sin itself is an unwinding of God's good things. And you can expect that sin will unwind families. It messes and disorders things. What ought to be the case isn't the case. Just isn't. It ought to be the case that when Jesus shows up, we roll out the red carpet, right? Fireworks, like those flamethrower things you get at the football, all different colours. It's like a 24-hour fireworks show. Pomp and pageantry, that's what it's meant to be. We should have pulled out all the stops, right? But we didn't. We put up a no vacancy sign. Go figure. Not welcome. You know, John uses this phrase, we didn't receive him. And um, do you know um, the, the Greek phrasing behind that that phrase, we didn't receive him, is actually the same phrasing that's used to talk about, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, to talk about Joseph taking Mary as his wife. It, it, it speaks of bringing someone into intimate relationship. That's what it is. So Jesus comes and we didn't receive him. We didn't bring him into intimate relationship. His people didn't do that. We left him hanging. And I want to ask you this question. Um, does that matter to him? Does it matter to him? 
You might think that's a strange question to ask. But I do want to just take you down the um, a rabbit trail here for a minute. Do you think it matters to him? You know, I think we can get stuck sometimes because we think, uh, well, well, we don't want to make God sound pathetic, right? Um, and this is kind of how we roll a bit, right? We don't like to actually admit that someone hurt us because if we admit that someone hurt us, somehow we're admitting that we're weak or, or it's a place of vulnerability that we don't actually like. You know, and we might flip back in and go, well, God's sovereign, he's powerful, right? What I'm really asking is this, can you hurt God? Can you hurt God? Well, Good question, maybe. Can you? Now, you would probably say yes. But with a qualification. Because you'd be nervous, as I am when I think about it, of making God sound weak. You might say something like this. Well, God allows himself to be hurt by us. And and I would agree with you. Uh, He does. But I'd ask you another question. Well, how how does he do that? How does he allow himself to be hurt by us? Is God some kind of sovereign, all-powerful deity who just lets some pipsqueaks have a crack at him every now and then? He just withholds his power for a minute so they can have a crack at him. My boys like to punch me sometimes, right? Because that's what you do in a house that has a lot of boys. You just hit each other, not out of anger, but just, you know, just flexing. And, And my kids... My kids come up to me and they go to punch me on the arm and I'm like, I could break your arm, all right? <laughs> but, but I'm just, I'm going to let you hit me, all right? You can have a crack. Is that, is that the kind of thing that's actually going on with God? I, I don't think so. Um, I think it's a function of something different to that. I want you to track with me a little bit more. Let me ask you this question. Is God personal and relational? Well, he is. And you might go, well, Peter, what on earth does that have to do with being hurt? Well, here's what it has to do with being hurt, is you can't be personal and relational with anyone, particularly sinners, without opening up the possibility of being hurt. The only way to nullify the possibility of being hurt is to not be personal and relational with people. Somebody go, well, I was at church a couple of weeks ago, Peter, and you actually said something. You said that Jesus is the personal self-revelation of God. So now we've got a problem, right? Because it's inevitable that Jesus is going to be hurt by us. Anyone who puts themselves out there to do relationship with sinners is going to get hurt. Anyone. See, in the end, the question about whether it matters to God actually comes down to this next question. Is God loving? If you answer yes to that, you are also saying emphatically that God is hurtable. Because to love is the most personal and relational of acts You can't love anyone without opening up the possibility of being hurt. 
And I think if you, here's a book to read, go and read the prophet, the minor prophet Hosea. You want to see whether God gets hurt? Read Hosea. He, like any other jilted lover, swings from outrage and anger to brokenheartedness. Makes so much sense when you read through the book. You see, when we don't receive him, when we are indifferent toward him, it hurts him. It hurts him in a similar way to the way it hurts you when people do that to you. It's more significant because he's the sovereign God of the universe, but it's similar. This is C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. There is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe in the in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. When God says to you that he loves you, he opens up the opportunity to be hurt by you and to be hurt by humanity. Let's go on to the last point today. It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Have a look at verse 12 to 13 of John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the end of the bad news. That's the end of the bad news. You know what the end of the bad news is? Not everyone rejected him. Not everyone rejected him. Some received him. Some welcomed him into intimate relationship. Some believed in his name is what you see there. And, that, and someone's name back in the day wasn't just like Fred or Stuart or Mary. It was like the character of the whole person. So believing in the name was actually coming in underneath who that person was. It meant trusting them. And the consequence of believing in that name is dead set stunning. It's incredible. He gave the right to become children of God. This is not, you might get some free steak knives at some point in time. Like it's not in that category. It's not an added extra. It's not like, right, well, Jesus comes on and he goes, right, now listen, I'm going to put you on probation for six months. And if you do well, you're going to become a child of mine. It's yours in that moment. It's absolutely 100% yours in that moment. And you know what it is? It's the thing that you most desperately needed, a change of status. That's what it was. This is your biggest problem. This is my biggest problem is you go right back to Genesis chapter 3 when humanity turned their back on God. We went from being his children to being estranged children. And everything flows out of our identity. It flows out of our status. We don't know who we are. We desperately need an identity shift. Desperately. 
we lost who we truly were in that moment. Listen to the way that Eugene Peterson translates it in the message. It captures this. This is verse 12. But whoever did want him. (laughs) Are there people that want him here? Are there? Yeah, come on. Who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said. Listen to this. He made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. Now, people talk about finding themselves. Well, you won't find yourself unless you find God. Let's just lay that down. This has always been the way. It was the way it was meant to be. And I want to I want to finish by just addressing the last couple of little points that John makes there. Do you know, there's this there's this sense of uh, being um, of receiving God and our activity, but what we find at the end of this passage is there's a whole bunch of activity that's going on that we weren't particularly aware of in that moment. I remember years ago, years and years ago, there was a very popular Christian band at the time and they had a song called uh, I Found Jesus and it made its way into the uh, worship sets of lots and lots of churches Um, and the the chorus was I found Jesus, I found Jesus, I found Jesus. Um, I mean it's a nice line but um, they just repeated it a whole bunch of times in the in the um, in the chorus you know and you know I think in some ways that captures something of the initial excitement of uh, coming to faith, doesn't it? It's like, I I found him. I I found him, like he's changed my life, I'm different now, there's a different status. But do you know something? The longer you're a Christian, the more you realise it wasn't so much that you found him, but that he found you. you. Do you know what I'm talking about? And this is where John takes us. And he wants you to know, uh, Jesus' finding of you was not like, a, it wasn't a physical thing, it wasn't a physical flesh thing, it wasn't a, a husband's will thing, it, it, wasn't, it didn't come from sexual desire, um, it, it's, it's a spiritual thing that only God can do. There was something going on before and under and through the moment you received God. And, you know, I don't want you to get distracted about the connection between God working and us responding and all that sort of stuff. Because you know what's going to happen if you get distracted by that is you're going to miss something that's really, really rich here. Suffice to say, there are a lot of things in your life that you didn't have a say in that are legit and you just have to work with. You just have to work with them. Uh, no one here decided to get born. You didn't decide to get conceived. You didn't decide to get born. That was something that happened to you. Um, no one here this morning decided to wake up. It, it was something that happened to you. You, you woke up. Uh, you didn't decide what family you were going to be born into. You didn't decide how many siblings you would have. I could go on and on and on. You didn't decide what country you were going to be born in. You just have to get used to the fact that there are a bunch of things happening around you which have a profound impact on your life, which you don't have a say in. Just be chilled with it, all right? Just be relaxed with it. And hang with me here because 
there's something beautiful we can miss if we get snagged on what I just talked about. Here's, here's the beauty. You weren't an accident. If you're a child of God, you need to know that you weren't an accident. You were not an unplanned pregnancy. Do you hear me? You didn't sneak in on a technicality, right? You felt, you, you're one of those people that read footnotes, right? And you've read the 35 pages of contract conditions and you found section 3525BIII uh, and you found a sneaky way to get in. God loved you and he wanted you. He wanted you. You are not an irritation to him. And if you're sitting here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus and you haven't received Jesus, you could do that right now. You could receive him. And do you know what? You too. You too would not be an accident. This is stunning. While humanity serves up indifference to Jesus, he serves up anything but indifference, doesn't he? He turns us from nobodies into somebodies. And you need to hear that today. If, you've, if you're, coming from a, you're coming from a family background or you're in the middle of a situation and you feel unwanted, if you've carried for years the sense inside of you, maybe your parents even told you that you're an accident. And for years it said to you, I wasn't really meant to be. And you love Jesus? I don't think any physical birth is an accident. Psalm 139 is clear about that. God weaves us together in our mother's womb. But... I want you to hear even more emphatically this morning that if you have ever felt unwanted, you are in the right place. Are you? Because there is one that says to you, you are not an accident. I came for you. You are not an irritation to me. I didn't ever think about an abortion. You were meant to be and I love you. turns out God is not indifferent to you.